folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory Podcast. I'm Theory. And I'm Sense. And this is your oasis of common sense and reason in the arid desert what of is extremism. That nonsense claptrap. What? Well, well, you know, we, we received some criticism that we don't really lay out what the show is about at the beginning for new listeners. So I was, you know, I was trying to... I was Try trying again, to man. Try okay, again. Okay, all right. All Back right. from the top. Yeah. Uh, hello, folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory Podcast. I'm Theory. And I'm Sense. In the blackness of partisan space, one show is the shining beacon of compromise. God, I thought that was pretty good, man. No, man, the Sense and Theory Podcast is about cutting through the nonsense and the partisan politics and the extremism um, and 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 bringing some common sense back to the table, trying to get people together on the tough issues that are hard to communicate about. How, how's that? And occasionally cool radio voices, right? No cool oh, radio voices. <laughs> anyway, guys, welcome to the show today. Uh, today, uh, we have a guest uh, in studio again. This is going to be the third time that we've done a guest. And uh, we, we really like to do these shows because, like we've always said, you know, Sense and Theory is not just our personal soapbox. We want varied viewpoints and experiences and everything presented for you guys to listen to. That's right. Um, so, actually, I want to go ahead and say that if you guys know anybody that you think would be worthy of being a guest on the Sense and on Theory podcast. Third rate <laughs> yes, on a third-rate startup podcast. Yeah, on this cobbled-together sh- uh, stuff we've done. We've also, uh, I forgot, we've also got criticisms about cursing, so we're going to try to ease back. Yeah, we're going to try to well. ease back. But, uh, uh, yeah, just let us know. Send us an email. Uh, you know, hit us up at any of the places that you Sense and Theory Podcast at gmail.com. We're on Reddit, r slash Sense and Theory Podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter, at Sense and Theory Pod. Sense Theory Pod. Thanks. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, in doing the show, we actually were fortunate enough to come into contact with uh, someone who has a lot to say about politics and how the game is played these days. Uh, but what's interesting to note is because of his extensive experience in, in politics and stuff, there's a lot of like, you know, contracts and agreements and stuff like that. So we're actually having to mask his identity for him to talk to you today. So that's a bit of a catch 22 for us, right? Like, you know, we don't we don't want you to think that we're trying to pull a fast one on you. But at the same time, I think this guy has some very valuable stuff. Absolutely. To add to, to, add to the discussion. So, you know, take it. Take it with a grain of salt. All I can tell you is that, you know, me and Sense have looked into this. We've talked to the guy. We feel confident. And we're telling you that he's legit. Yep. Yep. So uh, so what are we calling him today? What's Well, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I present Less Vegetables. Less Welcome to the show, buddy. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. So, Les, uh, can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself just to kind of kick us off here for the listeners? Yeah, uh, uh just uh, average Joe, really, uh, who happened to uh, do some things. That, okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, I've uh, I've always been interested in politics, even as a young man. Uh, I remember crying to my mother because she did not vote for Ross Perot. Wow. Like she told me she was going to. Wow, you were independent that young. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. Absolutely. <laughs> so is that that's about when you first started paying attention to politics, I'd say. That's... Yeah, one of my earliest memories was uh, seeing the Berlin Wall come down. Okay. Yeah. So it's just sort of fascinated me, I guess, since then. So, yeah. And right. you found yourself drawn to it uh, immediately. I, I felt the same way when I was a kid. Like, I don't know, it's kind of weird, you know, you got 
uh, your friends out there and there's transformers and stuff. But I always had this like weird fascination with like, you know, parties and elections and all that stuff. Like I said, for me, it was, uh, for you, it was the Berlin wall. For me, it was Dukakis. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) So did you, uh, you know, as you started developing your political views, did you come down on the, uh, the right or the left or, uh, you know, well, uh, as I guess I was, I was raised in a a conservative environment for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and as I got to the teen years, teen years coincided with the, the Bush two years. And so that sort of led to a shifting towards the left because, after September 11th, I was like benefit of the doubt kind of guy, you know, like, hey, you know, Afghanistan seems necessary. Let's, you know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And then Iraq happened. And Bush was kind of a buffoon, right? I mean, it was hard yeah. to support Bush. Right. He came <laughs> off as, as, you know, anti-intellectual and, you know, all these things that all these labels, sorry, all these labels that uh, get put on. And uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, that sort of shaped me to the left because I would attribute that more so to a lack of understanding of the whole system. Mm. You know, I, I, I don't think I was necessarily as left as I thought I was. Okay. Yeah. Oh, now nice. that I've transitioned from it, I guess that might be easy to yeah, do. Easy in hindsight, hindsight to look <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah. yeah. But then looking back, it's like, no, there were tendencies there that I just didn't understand were not far left. Uh huh. Yeah. So what was it? What, how would you describe, uh, you know, your level of involvement? I know, obviously, you say your teenage years, but I, I guess even going forward, like into your early twenties, were you like a a super politically active person? Uh, did you go to protests? Did you, you know, do anything like that? Uh, yeah, yeah uh, I, early twenties, uh, not as much. I actually had some uh, health issues come up at that time that kind of detained me from it. But as I got into the mid twenties, uh, definitely got back into the scene, and that's when I got a little bit more radicalized to the left, uh, where I was going to protests and I mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, traveling to DC, traveling to other cities yeah, and, uh, you know, getting into it with the park police. And Are we talking like about that. like mask up at the protests? Like I didn't throwing go that bricks far. And stuff? I didn't go that far. You, you can find my face in okay. <laughs> some of them, but, uh, Have yeah. you been tear gassed? I've never been tear gassed. Okay. <laughs> I uh, I had a uh, sound weapon triggered. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was going to say, I was about to pull your, your extremist card, but uh, if you've been <laughs> sound weapon, I, yeah, I think, I think you get weapon. the card. Yeah. 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 You're definitely in the club. So, like, what was your, what was like, how did that color your, your view of politics at the time? I mean, I, I think I went through a similar period at the similar, at a similar age. And I remember just being so uh, uh, just cynical and bitter. And I mean, to an extent, I guess I still am. But like, it was so much no, worse. Oh, you don't say. It was so much worse in my, in my 20s. Like, you know, I, I thought that no good could ever come of politics. Nothing was ever going to get done. And I was closer to advocating for revolt than change sure. at the ballot box. I think that's know? how my, my 20s were definitely spent in that mind space. <laughs> for but, sure. Uh, yeah. What about you, man? No, absolutely. I mean, it's it. you get one thing that I guess I've kept from from left to right is the revolt mentality where it's you get fed up with the whole thing. And that's why I think, you know, we're talking about the two party system. We're talking about things like that. It's, it's problematic and it's led to problems. And the one thing that I've always kept is just sort of an anti-establishment, anti-authoritarian bent Uh Mm -hmm. that, you know, eventually moved me away from being left wing because ultimately I guess I've seen the evolution of the left go more towards authoritarianism. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, that's, that's a trend you, you can't really, can't really deny. In fact, I, I'd say both sides, um, 
have been swinging towards authoritarianism. Sure. I guess I look at what was the guy who described it instead of as left and right as a horseshoe. Sure. Turned yeah. on its side, and and the left and right actually the the extremes actually occupy the left of the horseshoe, right towards yeah. authoritarianism. Sure. Right. right. Um, whereas the center is over here in the curve on the right. Right. So yeah. I very much see that happening. And and you see it in the power that both parties vest in the executive. That's one thing that kind of makes it obvious. Mm-hmm. So Bush comes along, and after 9-11, everybody's scared, you know, sucks up a bunch of power. And when Obama gets elected, you know, one of his campaign promises, we're going to give back some of this executive power. You know, <laughs> The king of the executive right. order there. Yeah. Sure. And, you know, so, and both, but both constituencies are complicit in it. Because if they had truly demanded it, then it would have to have been done. Right. Yeah, so, I tend to agree. You know, both constituencies have blame. In, in and, right, and we've got Bush and Obama directly leading to to Trump. Who you know, once you once you consolidate that power in the executive, there's there's really not much taking it back. Yeah. Right. So so when we get someone like Trump in office, well now you've you've handed him the reins. You know. Well, you know you, yeah. I think what's interesting though is that I I think everyone is or at least likes to say that they're anti-authoritarianism. If if you present authoritarianism to somebody and you're like, this is authoritarianism. This is what it does. This is what it looks like. Right. When you walk out the jackbooted thugs and and you show them the ugly sides of authoritarianism. No, no, no. You can pull back farther than that and just be like, you know, uh, we have a state that's trying to make decisions for you and stuff like that. You know, something like that. I would agree with you years ago, but you know, when we talk about things like soda bans, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's absolutely authoritarianism. To me, and and I feel like you've got wide sweeping public support for these measures. Uh, you, you, you're missing what I'm saying, though, because I agree with you completely. That's what's interesting to me is that both the left and the right will support those measures when their parties present them to them. However, if I went up to them and I said, "Do you want the state to make decisions on what you eat and drink?" Well, hell no. <laughs> right? Do okay. you want the state to save these people from killing themselves with soda? Hell yes. You know what I mean? It's all in how you frame it and how you position it. And I think that to me personally, and I'd like to hear your guys' opinions, that's where that's where we have to start. Because I think everybody is anti-authoritarian. What do you mean that's where we have to start? Like where the message is being framed, how the message is being framed? Well, no, or? I mean I think I think that's what we have to key on to start fixing things is to you know, get everybody to realize that we're all actually united on this anti-authoritarianism thing. Right. You know? Well, I, I think you're going to have a hard time because I think when people are in the mindset, especially when posed with, with an extreme enemy, I think people are in the mindset very much now that if if we don't do something, all hope is lost, right? Yeah. So I don't think as many people as you think are, are anti-authoritarianism. I think a lot of them mm-hmm. are at the point where they think it's so bad that they would trust the government to make those decisions for them. And I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Well, I, I, I think you're I think you're right in that I do I do think it's heading that way. I'm not I'm not sure if we've we've tipped over the edge yet, you know, but uh, I would I would agree with that sentiment that we're not quite over the edge. We are trending. Yeah. And it you know you see it as a result of things being muddled up. You know, in the fifties we had this consensus government. Liberal, conservative, very similar. You know, you, we had a conservative president, Eisenhower, that spearheaded the interstate highway system. Sure. You know, it's a huge public works project. So, you know, this consensus around the state, which stems from Keynesianism, it, but what it's led to with the two-party system in particular and that consensus, a lot of political science uh, 
professionals back in the day would bemoan that sense of consensus because they were saying, well, you're creating a situation where people don't really have much of a ideological choice between you. And yeah. so no room for dissent. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's going to create pockets, which we've seen kind of come to fruition of extreme ideologies one way or the other. So, you know, I, it's, I think we are trending that way. I think there is, I think the fact that we live in a constitutional Republican democracy is what keeps us anti-authoritarian at heart. Mm-hmm. You know, we shrugged off the monarchy. We shrugged off the the one rule authority. And so it's a lot of us have a hard time, you know, detaching from that. And that keeps us from going sheer authoritarian. Right. But that muddling and bland nature that comes from bipartisan politics, really, and, you know, being too cozy with bipartisan politics, it, it's okay to have differences. That's right. Yeah. And, and in fact, there's no way to get around it, especially as as society grows and evolves. Like it's 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 the great one of the great things uh, behind the state system. You know, we have states that can make their own decisions because these populations don't live like these populations. You know, yeah. I, it, it it's a good thing to it dissent is. and and you know, there's a line. There's always a line. So uh, of course. On one side, you got people calling people baby killers, and on the other side, you got people calling Nazis. Like, yeah. you know, we don't want to support Nazis or baby killers. Obviously, you sure. know that kind of dissent is not good. <laughs> Absolutely, but there's a there's a gray there's a huge gray area in the middle that we're just we're 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 missing out on. It's not there anymore. You know, the, we're in the state of of the great compromiser. We're in the state of Henry Clay, and and where is compromise in politics nowadays? You know, it's just not there. I don't I don't see it anywhere, and. You, as someone who's shifted kind of from the left over to the right and passed through some gray area on the way, I'm sure, um, you know, what did what did that look like? At what point did you shift to the right? I guess long about 26, 27, I had the aha moment of, uh, you know, I had prided myself like I was a left libertarian. Okay. You know, so... Everybody needs to cooperate, but no government needs to coerce it because the anti-authoritarian right. bent there. Right. And then one day I was, I was like, okay, so if, if everybody cooperates voluntarily and you don't have to cooperate with whoever you don't want to cooperate with, that sounds a lot like forming a corporation and existing in a capitalist society. <laughs> and I kind of facepalmed. I was like, wait a minute, what have, how, what have I been doing the last you know seven years of my life? And, uh, yeah, so it was that aha moment. And so if we're, if we're getting together on our own, apart from the government and we're building coalitions of like-minded people, then, you know, maybe that's just, it's what we're yeah. already doing under capitalism. Right. So. It, it's, it's what already exists in a sense. Now it's, it's been obstructed, I think for sure, but we can go into detail about that at a, at a later date. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it might be a little bit beyond today's today's topic. So, so where like what? How would you describe like your political leanings today? Like, where are you at today? It, it, yeah, it's it's tough, and it's tougher and tougher as time goes on. Because you know, I, I'm the type that I always want to study it, I always want to evolve, I always want to be fresh with ideas. So, recently, I've been studying uh, a philosophy called uh, propertarianism. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of it. Propertarianism. It's it's strongly rooted in property rights, uh, and it's it's a branch of sort of right wing libertarianism, 
where, you know, the, the government essentially exists to enforce private contracts. Okay. Like, you know, there's, you know, people handle things on their own. So um, what one thing I never understood about about libertarianism is is the idea that governments um you know shouldn't get involved to like regulate business. How how do you feel about that? I mean, again, we're in the great state of Kentucky. We've had all kinds of problems with like coal slurry sure. in creeks and and creeks are public waterways, sure. you know, they're not owned by a person. So there's no like there's no contract there to govern, you know, what you can do to a creek. So where do things like that fit into libertarianism? Um do we just shrug our shoulders? Does it take, you know, coalitions of citizens approaching those companies? Um, you know, how does that work? Yeah, I, you know, in, in the the government that would result from that society, you know, that's a good question. We, I guess, as a if you're forming a democratic society that runs this type of government, then you would have to have a democratic consensus on how you would handle these situations. So. To the extent which it would be libertarian or not, who knows? Right, but but you do see a place for for some sort of like government body to regulate. Oh, absolutely. Business. I mean, you know, the, the notion of like say Trump rolling back the the stream pollution regulations, you know, the, things like that are I, I think problematic still to this day. Even though I'm very anti regulation to for the most part. Um, you know, but I also don't think we need a bloated EPA to enforce can't dump your toxic stuff in the river. You know, like that, that seems a simple law passed, maybe have some, you know, environmental enforcement wing of the FBI go out and crack down on these people. Sure, use law enforcement sure. to enforce the laws. Right, and actually make them have penalties. Maybe somebody needs to serve time. You know, th- this notion of we all get off on... You know, you pay a fine that is just the cost 10% of doing business. Ten percent of your paycheck. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. We'll pass it on to customers next year. Yeah, somebody needs to do time over it if it's an egregious violation. Yeah, and I'd say Coastlerian Creeks, toxic waste in in waterways. That's pretty egregious. Absolutely. You know? No, that's a, one of the things. Like at least in the way that I look at it, is that it's not always um, it's not always about like going all the way necessarily. So let me, let me explain what I mean. Like I feel too, that I, I shipped it over, you know, like, uh, like I say, from the left to the right. And in some ways I, I feel like I've even shifted back, you know, and it, it's kind of like I bounce back and forth in this, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, more central area, but I would agree in a lot of respects, um, in describing myself as a libertarian. But when I look at the practical way of the world, like I, I can't, I can't, you know, as I've said on other episodes, I can't go all the way down, you know, the libertarian road. And I don't think you're supposed to like, I think what's important. I think the way this thing was supposed to work is that I have libertarian leanings. So I'm going to keep, you know, uh, legislation and regulations honest from a libertarian standpoint, whereas somebody else, you know, might be a, a democratic socialist and they're, they're going to keep legislation honest from that standpoint the key was never to go all the way down that road right i think that makes know? a lot of sense and yeah. and and where we have a two-party system you know we get the the, the libertarian voices don't even get a chance right. right you can't vote libertarian because you're you're taking votes away from uh from the dems or you're taking votes away from the republicans and oh god the other side is going to win yeah. right um so in a way you know that system that you describe is is totally non-functioning here yeah well, you've also, I, you know, we talk about the two party system, but especially with libertarians to an extent, I have to blame 
you know, the libertarians themselves, because when the libertarians have a convention, people immediately say, well, I'm not going to support this candidate if we don't get rid of driver's licenses tomorrow and stuff. <laughs> and it's like, man, yeah. we, we got to be practical, dude. Like we got to we got to, you know, make gains and stuff. So. So it's partially you're right. I think that the uh, you know, I think that the two party system has created, uh, you know, the, the team sports mentality and like wanting to, you know, pull us to the ends and stuff. But we're also we're, we're going down that road happily and beyond team sports. We're defining ourselves by that ideology when, you know, oftentimes, especially if we're talking about like from a philosophical sense, if we're talking about like Marx writing about, you know, communism or, you know, socialism or what have you. I mean, this is a, this is an exercise in like philosophy. It was, it was never like, you know, a practical, concrete, one size fits all solution. It's an idea that maybe we should inject into our discourse. Right. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's one thing, you know, we mentioned the two party system. That's one thing about, I think above all that is problematic for us. It stifles innovation. People who are creative, people who are smarter than the two-party system, get disenchanted with it, and a lot of people check out. That's right. We don't even vote, and and I'm I'm one of those people. Uh, yeah, I don't vote. We have fifty percent in the fifties. We average for presidential election years, and in the, in the forties, we average for midterm years. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. As a percentage of eligible voters, uh, that's pretty. That's pretty wild to think yeah. about. Um, yeah, that's a <laughs> lot of people who have just who have just checked out. And I, I think for me. Um, one of the main reasons I've, I've checked out is there aren't any candidates that generally that I feel like I can support, yeah. you know, the, the off chance that, that one comes around, I do go out and vote for him. I won't say I've never voted cause I have. Um, but generally I will not play that game of voting for the lesser of two evils. Sure. I feel like it's a smack in the face and, and all that takes is throwing some other candidates out there. Let's get the diversity up, you sure. know, let's see some libertarians. Let's see some green parties actually you know, legitimate candidates. <laughs> right. Well, you know, that's something evident, like, with 2016. And so Bernie, you know, gets kind of given the shaft yeah. by the DNC, mm-hmm. you know. So at what point do people get so fed up with that? How many times does it have to, how many times does it have to happen in order for people to say, well, you know, I'm going to support the Green Party or, you know, conservatives who actually want a small government party say, I'm going to support the Libertarian Party. And then we have four parties, right? You know, and 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 we have to start doing coalition governments, and yeah. you know, like they do in Europe. I'd know? like to see. I'd like to see something we even theory have talked about before. I'd like to see ranked choice voting. Absolutely. Um, where you know you say this is my first candidate, this is my second, this is my third, and if your first doesn't get enough votes, then your second gets your vote. Right. You know, so yeah. that completely eliminates this problem of. Uh, you're throwing your vote away by voting independent. You know, sure. that could really bring some some alternative voices to the table. Maybe Absolutely. people would come out and say, "Oh, I can vote Jill Stein," and then if Jill Stein doesn't have a chance, I get to vote Hillary anyway. Right? Yeah. Hooray! Great. You know? Right? <laughs> I mean, big steps for democracy. I, I don't buy the throw the vote away argument when people say like, "Oh, you voted Libertarian, you threw your vote away." I don't necessarily buy that just because like I you know. I live here in Kentucky, you know, I've, there are other States where if we lived, you know, it would be a lock, what, what it was going to do in 2016. You know, if we lived in California, you could say, well, it's, it's, you know, Hillary's going to win California, Yeah, Yeah. you know, in Kentucky, well, well, Trump's going to win Kentucky. So whether I vote for Trump or not, 
it doesn't matter. I can go exercise how I feel ideologically. Right. More so because I'm in a, what they call a safe state where, you know, you can pretty much bank it's going to go one way or <laughs> the right, other. Yeah, yeah. You know, voting only really matters in the swing states in the modern context. Because, um, you know. I think it's funny what you said there. You said, you know, so I can go ahead and vote along my ideology. Sure. And, and that's what we should all be doing. In a democratic system, I feel like we should all be able to vote Along our ideological lines, yeah, and it is a it's a travesty that we can't, yeah, mm. it's an absolute travesty. If there was one thing that I could like wave a magic wand and fix with the system, it would it would probably be ranked choice voting off the top. Just yeah, let no, me let think, me vote my my ideology. I think th- th- there are problems uh, with coalition governments. For instance, if you look at uh, you know Germany uh, in the last few years. Yeah. So sure, they have all these different parties, but really and truly, they have two extremist parties and then different versions of Angela Merkel. You know what I mean? So like at the you you get almost into that 1950s thing that you know Les had talked about earlier, where you have this like large consensus and there's really no difference between the Republicans and the Democrats. But at the same time, there's a couple things that I think <laughs> I think are different uh, about America, and especially like right now, with where we're at right now. I have to believe that coalition governments would be the way to go with, with all the disparate interests and stuff, people would be able to, you know, again, you wouldn't be living in States where your vote doesn't, doesn't matter because every libertarian candidate that you can get in there is going, you know? So, so maybe, maybe the six counties in this district in Eastern Kentucky, uh, you know, can can get this one libertarian candidate, but then every other district in the state is going to go Republican. Well, that's one more libertarian. If we got five from Minnesota, well, now we can hold up a vote. You right. know what I mean? So yeah. it, it does. It, it instantly gives people more power. And that was always the idea, you know, of our process is finding that balance between uh, rejecting mob rule. But at the same time, you know, letting the people have their voice. Right. And, and it's inarguable. The people are either they're 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 not having a voice by choice you know the 50% of people who aren't going and voting they're obviously not being represented right sure yeah um yeah. or they're they're not being represented because they've got the two monoliths to choose from and you know they're they're all lockstep with each other and you mentioned germany you know for better or worse they do the proportional you know we do single single member plurality that's the way right. we do our districts in Germany and in most of Europe, they do proportional representation. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they have the coalition governments. They have multiple parties. They have eighty percent voter turnout on average. Wow! Yeah. You know, like it's it's one of those things where even if things are gridlocked, people care. People get yeah. involved. You know, it's it's an interesting it's interesting to compare those two because I think we feel so much more set in our ways and secure, and like things are steady here. Mm-hmm. And that Europe can be tumultuous, what you know, which it can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it, you know, is they have other factors good? at play too. They do. It's, they yeah. do, and they're facing some immigration things that we're not right now, and that's yeah. that's an issue. You I know? think. I think what's interesting though is like is is it still it gives you so many options. Like consider this, you know, uh, again to touch one more time on the on the team thing. So let's say we have. Uh, I don't know, eight, let's say we have eight political parties, right? And you do have your team, right? Like most of the time you support the libertarian party or you support the green party or, or what have you. And so, you know, you vote for the libertarian party, you try to push them up as high as you can. But one year, 
uh, this new issue comes in and uh, maybe because we're talking to Germany, I'll just I'll just throw out nuclear power plants. Right. So there's a question about whether or not you're going to have nuclear power plants. You see that it is more advantageous for you to not vote for the libertarians this year and push up a couple members of the look at the options you've given yourself. Like you can help build. Right, and that's not and that's not a death knell. To the yeah, Libertarian yeah, Party, and then, right? And then, <laughs> and then once the, the nuclear issue subsides, you go right back to your Libertarian team, you know, if, if that's how you feel. That sounds pretty good. No, I mean, that it sounds <laughs> ideal, and I wish we'd uh, get off the snide and start start working on it, you know? I really do. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it stems from, you know, we, we are Greco-Roman and the ancestors of such a philosophy. You know, they set up the duality of good versus evil. We like one-on-one. We like two. Yeah. It's just the way we were sort of... It's much easier to deal with, with things when they're not complex, right? I mean, yeah. you want A versus B. You don't want A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Then you gotta, you got to drill down to G, you know? Like, sure. Who wants to do that? Yeah, and the, the, the sort of like people talk about the rugged individualism present in... America versus, you know, anywhere else in the world. Like there's mm-hmm. this sense of rugged individualism. I think that lends itself exactly to that, to what you just said. You know what I mean? It, it's sort of, we want to be aloof. We don't want to have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. We want to take care of whatever, whatever we're building, whatever we're, you know, digging up, whatever it is that we're, we're dirtying our hands with. Right. Or the issue we we're thinking about to, today. Right. We don't want to have to govern it. We just want because I mean that was the whole nature of limited government in the founding to begin with. It's like let responsible people do just a minimal amount that we need, and everybody else go and create freely. Right, and that's you know been muddled down over the years and taken advantage of and expounded upon and grown. But that was essentially we're still there in our nature as voters. Right, you know we still want hands off. I don't want to deal with it. And I think the people who do want to confront the fact that things have gotten muddled over the years and it's been grown and expounded upon, you know, it's frustrating for us to look at everybody else and say, hey, you know, come invest yourself in this for just a little while and then maybe we can fix it. And, you know, then we can all go back to creating and ignoring it. (laughs) Well, I want to shift gears here a little bit. If uh, if it's not already, you know, grossly evident uh, to our listeners, uh, you're not just flying by the seat of your pants like me and Sense are. Uh, you've actually had some experience uh, actually like working in politics. And uh, interestingly enough, for a self-professed libertarian – uh, that started with the ACA, the yeah. Affordable Care Act? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, uh, yeah, it what did. happened? <laughs> well, you know, it, uh, it's funny. It's more just the opportunity to take a job that paid well and, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe got me into working in politics again because I had, I had decided that I was going to maybe try to make money in politics. <laughs> uh, hey, that's the best way to get involved. Right. If you, ask well, me. <laughs> you know, that's the libertarian coming out in me, you know, like how can I make money off of this? Um, and I thought, well, I've, you know, I've got enough, you know, I studied political science and history and I've got enough, you know, experience with it that I might as well try. And, uh, the first opportunity that came available was to work for the ACA. Um, and it was, Definitely quite an experience. Uh, you know, I got to learn a lot. I'm glad I did it. Uh, I learned why it's problematic in some extents, you know, uh, probably not the fullest extent, but, but yeah, I learned some uh, problematic, you know, it's, it's primarily based on zip code, which I think can be problematic in any sense. Just you want like, to expound on that for us? Well, you know, like the thing about public schools being based on 
you know, zip code within a region, you know, you extract taxes to pay for the public schools. You know, it's similar but different. So at the ACA, you know, if I had somebody who's in one zip code, depending on the median income in that zip code, you know, I might be able to get somebody who's making 21 or two grand a year, a, a plan that, you know, is 200 or $300 a month. You know, I could get them a cheaper plan, but it's not going to do anything they need it to do. Uh-huh. So to get them something that will actually work for them, we're looking at two or three hundred dollars a month, you know, and they're s- still paying, you know, three or four thousand, maybe five or six thousand maximum out of pocket for the year, you know, mm-hmm. and or no maximum out of pocket can go up in like fourteen. Wow, 000. yeah, the, the the point at which uh, your deductible kicks in. So that's based on like the medium income of your zip code, and that's not every instance, but though I, I noticed that being a trend that happened a lot, where. You know, I've got this person, you know, low 20s in income, and, and that's the setup that works best for them. Whereas you go two or three zip codes over, and I've got somebody who makes 28 or 9, and somehow I can get them a plan that's, you know, with their subsidies, $0 a month, and their wow. max, you know, their deductible kicks in after 600 bucks, and their so max I guess that's why we had, we had all these reports across the country. You know, some people were saying, well, shit, I don't pay anything. It's a great plan. And then you had other people going, they want to charge me 800 bucks a month for right. nothing. That's yeah. exactly and, how and it And I happened. was one of those people who, who you know, it was going to be 600 bucks for my family for the month, and it covered nothing. Right. Yeah. I mean, almost nothing. It was right. a terrible, terrible waste of money. You yeah. Know? It, was, it was more, in fact, when we did the analysis, it was, it was more advantageous to just pay the fine. Yeah, and, and get our own private insurance. And oh, it'd certainly be cheaper. Absolutely, yeah. The the fine's fixed. You know, yeah. the, the the healthcare. You know, that could be whatever it has to be throughout the year, depending on what happens to you. Well, I think I think a lot of that confusion too was just um, oddly enough a lack of transparency. Like as much as we talked, uh, you know, about the ACA and all that stuff in the media, and and you know, as much ballyhoo uh, as there was about it. I don't, I still don't think anybody has a firm understanding of exactly, you know, how it was going to all come together. And, uh, you know, when we were talking to you about this uh, episode, that was evidenced by the fact that you, you said you told one guy you would check with the wizard of Oz. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I said I would consult <laughs> yeah. Oz, the great and powerful <laughs> to see, you know, what I could get for him. Cause it, it felt like that. It felt like you were just kind of plugging numbers into this, you know, random, random word generator or something, you know, and, and it, it spat you out whatever it could do for the person. You know, it was, it was bizarre. Better hope those programmers were on point. Right. There wasn't much time to bug fix. I know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what do you, uh, what do you think having seen it, you know, from, uh, you know, a side that a lot of us weren't privy to, uh, what do you think happened with the ACA? Do you think it was the idea itself or did politics torpedo it? Like what, what happened? Well, uh, this is actually a, really easy instance to sort of tie it back into the two party system thing that we were talking about earlier, where I think what happens is, is one side has to capitulate to a minority. That's been a trend recently because we've gotten a little bit more ideological in the last couple of decades. We've got this trend where the minority stands up, you know, makes a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. So conservatives got up and made a lot of noise when Obama wanted to do the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, you had the Tea Party and and, uh, I forget what the little caucus, the Freedom Caucus. Freedom Caucus, is what they call it now, yeah. And so it's it created a situation where, you know, the public option was in at one point, you know, single payer got tossed around there for a little while. Yeah. And 
you know, it creates a situation where the other party stands up, opposition party says, no, we're disaffected, so they muddle it down. Mm. And so that's what happens. I mean, same thing happened actually from Republicans to Rand Paul uh, this past year, where Rand Paul came up with a compromise on the Affordable Care Act, where we amend it down. And sure, it's a fairly strong libertarian piece of legislation, but there were some good ideas in it. And it got shot down in, in a Republican committee. You know, because mm-hmm. it's it's not going to make anybody any money. Same reason single payer gets shot down back when <laughs> right. the ACA comes. It's not going to make anybody any money. That's right. So right. it gets shot down. So that's where we're at. Where I think it was it was meant to fail, largely because I, I think they tell people so that they could eventually get. Well, we were going to get you single payer after it failed. Yeah. You know, I think the Democrats are fine with that narrative because it still puts them like at ease with their base. But in you know, in reality, they were just trying to figure out a way for everybody to make a bunch of money. And just like everything with that type of system, with that Keynesian type attitude, you're going to get to the point where it just it gets bloated, it spirals out of control, some bolts start firing, you know, and, uh-huh. and start uh, slipping out of place and some springs start popping and it's you problematic. Know, one of the things though, like that that whole narrative that gets pushed that that it was meant to fail. Um, whether that's true or not, ultimately, it doesn't, doesn't quite matter to me because to me, that is one of the grossest symptoms of where we're at. Like I think about it for a second that, that we, we come up with this idea, right? We're the Obama administration. We come up with this idea and we're going to push it. We see that there's not enough, uh, we don't have enough clout to ram it through the way that we want, but we still end up ramming it through. And now not only are we off the hook, like you say, because we know we've passed this broke pile of crap that's not going to do what it was supposed to do, but we can also say, hey, it's, it's, a, it's a part of our larger plan. Just keep putting us in here. Just keep putting <laughs> us in here. And that's, and you know, the whole banking on Hillary to win the election and stuff. Well, that's why you don't do that, man. When it's a piece of crap, stop. Yeah. If you can't get it, you can't get it. And, and ramming stuff through, that's how. You know, earlier you were talking about the the EPA regulations, and you said something that I thought was, you know, kind of hit the nail on the head. You said, do we need the EPA as it is to prevent the coal slurry? Right. Well, stuff like what happened with the ACA is how we get the EPA where it's at now. That's how we get 27,000 regulations. Absolutely. Because when we can't get what we want, we're like, well, we got to pass something. So we just ram through whatever ramshackle piece of crap we can put together. And that's not really compromise because you're not you're not compromising ideals. You're not melding for the best possible solution. You're just creating a thing that will that will fly. (laughs) Sure. And the only compromise that really results is, oh, you can't do that. Right. It's not, oh, I've got this idea to bring to the table and yeah. we'll compromise on that. It's, oh, you want to do this? No, my constituency and, and what you really mean is your people who fund your campaign right. will not l- allow you to do that. We don't want you to do that. And that's really where compromise is, is a series of, no, this is off the table. Right. Yeah. Well, you bring up a uh, campaign. So after the ACA, you actually you went on to work for a political. Campaign. Yeah. 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 Went back to the uh, the conservative end of things there uh-huh. um, and uh, worked for a couple of different congressional campaigns. Um, 
you pretty that that was a pretty innocuous experience for the most part. I, I had issues with some of the accommodations that were provided, but <laughs> ultimately, the the experience as far as in the field was was fairly normal. I guess you could say, like what almost what you would expect. Uh, a lot of door knocking was done. A lot of sign delivering was done. Interacting with voters, which that was probably the most insightful part of the job. So you'd go knock on doors and explain a, yeah. your candidates' positions yeah. and try to swing them before the election. Yeah, and uh, and it's yeah, talking to people's always the most enlightening part of politics because you're really getting to see like you know where people's heads are at. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know some people you find a lot of people actually that that they get very one sided. Oh well, you know I tell you it's it's all about immigration or it's all about. You know, I, I, I want to talk about guns, you know, let's talk about the Second Amendment, you know, and, and they fix on that. And then there might be a couple of outliers for them. And most people do not handle the broad spectrum. It's very fascinating. Um, so I, I don't know if that's I would say troubling, but yeah, it, it, it is troubling. Well, you know, I was thinking about it. It's like I wonder if that's leading to this sort of polarization we're talking about developing because candidates have to they have to pander to the one part the one issue voters right so you've got to make that you know loud a loud part of your platform yeah uh yeah you know just to just to draw the votes oh yeah so what what did that look like i mean you'd talk to people did you filter that information back up uh to the campaign like so so you were kind of like the ears on the ground and and you would pass it up to the brain like we had a survey we had to conduct and so, you know, based on their answers, you know, they would formulate that data and think about like what they needed to, how, you know, that would translate into a speechwriter sitting down with the candidate and mm-hmm. making talking points, you mm-hmm. know. So it's really, yeah, I don't know. It's it in in a sense, it feels like democracy. <laughs> it feels like oh, the voters' wish is going directly to, but because people are so one sided about their issues, you know, it's like, well, is is it actually functioning? Or is it just the illusion of Well, and I, I think it's funny. You say they sit down, you know, the survey goes to the speech writers, but it certainly doesn't go in front of the politician when, when legislation is up for a vote. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right, right, right. All that's off the table at the point only, after the election's won. Only every two years. There's, <laughs> there's, there's no one canvassing in between and, you know, passing that information up the chain. So very much, I think, it leads to the problem we were talking about in that, yeah, they pay attention to, to their constituents when they want your vote. But the second that vote's happened... It's oh yeah, table, it's man. only uh, useful for the campaign trail, yeah. and that's yeah, that's fact. How did uh so like how did that feel like overall to you? I mean, did you did it feel like a job or did you feel like you were making a difference? I mean, like yeah. You know. Oh, I certainly didn't feel like I was making a difference. <laughs> you know, it, it's one of the it, it's it, it was a, a congressional seat, you know, and, and not Senate. So it's you know you're you're up against four hundred and thirty five other districts right, in the country. Right. And, you know, it's, I guess I, I hit two of those 435. So it's uh, mm. it's interesting to think about, you know, every little nook and cranny of the country, people out. You Had know, someone doing like you did. out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And multiple of me. You know, I, I was in a, a couple of fairly large metropolitan areas. So I can only imagine what uh, having to trek through rural areas to do. Oh, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> yeah. Might be fun. Tote a camera with you, get some nice YouTube videos, <laughs> yeah. make, some, make some money on know, the side. You got you go knocking on doors out in rural areas, you learn about that Second Amendment stance real fast. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you almost do in the metropolitan areas. Touche. <laughs> 
So I mean, did it uh, overall? Did it like did it leave a bad taste in your mouth? I mean, would you do it again? I wouldn't say that the the campaign work left a bad taste in my mouth. It just felt like, what's the point, right? You know, um, I came to the conclusion that I probably needed to extend some specialization in education to get higher than I was. Yeah. And do things I really wanted to do, like maybe speech write and things mm-hmm. like that. Like I feel like, you know, or I mean, primarily be an advisor, like the idea of affecting change through somebody and by being that person in their ear that's trying to do something that's legitimately positive. Yeah. And then, you know, you don't, you don't get there. You know, I gave up on that cause it's like, well, you don't, that type of person doesn't really exist. You know, there's maybe a handful <laughs> of candidates that I would say are ideologically pure in the entire legislature to begin with. Right. Yeah. So might as well try out for the NBA. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would have a better shot. Um, probably, but yeah, no, it's, uh, interesting. Well, yeah, along the way, uh, in your political campaign work, uh, you came into contact with a practice that we definitely wanted to talk about today. That's called tracking. Uh, now I had, uh, it's, it's interesting and I'm, I'm excited for the listeners to hear this because I think we all know that there's weird wonky stuff going on in politics, (laughs) (laughs) but we never, we never go looking. It's like, it's almost like there's a monster under the bed and you don't want to peek, you know? Yeah. And when you, uh, told us about the practice of tracking, that was a peek at the monster under the bed to me. Uh, can you, uh, kind of generally lay out for us what tracking is? Yeah. I mean, just as an overview, it's, it's something where you, you basically, pretend or you're you're a plant uh, as a supporter of a certain candidate or this sounds good already yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you uh, uh, you know you 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 essentially track and follow candidates sometimes literally um and uh, you report on what they're doing to the you know to the bosses who deliver such information to said clients mm, and then so some of that uh information or uh, you know, footage, audio recording, stuff like that may find its way into, say, political ads and stuff Absolutely, like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Most of what you see that's juicy fodder out of a political ad is probably acquired by a tracker. That's interesting. So how do they... You say, you say uh, they're a plant, so how does the person... Um, I mean, do they do they just like show up and they're like, uh, "Heck yeah, candidate X, I'm all for you, man." You rock your hipster plaid and absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is that is about as far as I got into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I did have to do a couple of uncomfortable things that led me to just get out of the business altogether. Um, and it, you know, even those are relatively innocuous, but they were just starting to push my comfort zone, and I knew. There again, if I wanted to rise through the ranks, I was going to have to do get worse and worse. Yeah, as time we're going to be, on. you know, Cambridge Analytics and hiring prostitutes to blackmail people. <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to get bad <laughs> or good, depending on who you are. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, that's that's funny though. I I picture it as like a like kind of a James Bond type job. Like it might be really fun. You show up at like at an organization event and you pretend like you're a supporter and you know, you, you hold your little sign or whatever. And then what you try to like lure them into conversations afterwards with the, with the camera rolling. Basically, uh, basically, you know, candidate forums or field office openings events typically go according to a similar plan always. 
uh, for both sides. And so, you you know, usually candidates will do a and a section. Um, and so at that point, you know, you're going to try and, like, plan a question in there that's going to bait them to answer it a certain way. <laughs> so they can um, show it on their on their ad. Right. So we can say, oh, look, time. they want to raise your taxes or they want to do this or that, you know. And So would you have to, like, show up multiple times to gain the trust of these people? I mean, I, I feel like there would be people looking out. You know, in yes. the political game, there'd be people like looking out for trackers. They'd be like, are. well, we haven't seen that guy before. There are. And the, mo- the more professional a candidate's team, the better they are at picking up on you. You know, so if you're in a situation where you've got a, you know, an insurgent candidate, but their team's new and they've got a bunch of grassroots people, you can get into that very easily. Because they're not, you know, they think you're just another one of the, you know. They're like, oh, we finally got a diehard supporter. True <laughs> right. believer. He's yeah. been to everyone. They're, they're <laughs> he doesn't even live you. in this county. <laughs> and it sort of makes you feel terrible because you're like, well, you know, you're really getting genuine, like, feelings from these people. Oof. Yeah. And, so uh, I can imagine that being, like, one of those really early indicators of something shady going on. You know, yeah. like, someone who's upright in that position yeah. is really early going to start getting the heebie-jeebies. Like, oh, yeah. what's going on here, man? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it it was that way for me for sure. I, I was okay with that part of it because I felt like, well, if I meet somebody on the field of battle and I cause them to slip up via a question, that's just me as a voter sure. trying to extract something and them slipping up. I can also yeah. see if you know if you answer a question in that way, sure. In that moment, then you know that's, you have to be accountable well, for your words. That's right. Like, you have to speak carefully and be accountable for your words. That's that's kind of the catch twenty two of it. Is I thought what was really interesting is the you know of course there's you're looking for anything scandalous, but at the same time, a large part of what you were looking for was a candidate to go off script and say what they really believe. Right. Uh And that scene, you know, I remember at one point, um, actually when we were talking to you before the show, uh, we, the TV was on and a political camp, uh, camp, uh, political ad, sorry, came on the television. And it was funny because you just casually pointed over and you were like, that person believes what they're talking in. Like, they, they've got no shot this November. And I was like, wow, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, you know, and that's not 100% lock. Like, no. I've noticed that, you know, with the whole anti-authoritarian, anti-establishment bent that's taken hold since 2016, which a lot of people attribute Trump to, mm-hmm. so on. So a lot of people attribute Bernie's Bernie as well. Yeah, yeah. I feel yeah, like absolutely. Trump took that from Bernie's campaign because yeah. he saw yeah. what kind of fires it was, yeah. it was starting. And he was like, oh, shit, there's a... There's a strategy. Bring that on board right. for a minute. And so that cre- that does create a situation in a in any political environment where an ideological candidate can gain steam. Right. Because if they're seen as they're standing up to the system and the establishment, then that can get them somewhere. Uh-huh. But generally, it's primarily a, a, in relation to issues. Yeah. Like if you get into like really dissecting an issue, or if you know if you're a candidate and you want to start talking about your your party's national committee or something, you know, well, you're going to start making enemies, you know, because if you're yeah. going to go, because everybody has to have some problem with, you know, their own authority, you know, that they've chosen. Well, if not, then I'd say you're doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. Right. And if you, but if you show that too much, then you're looking at them shunning you. That's right. right. So. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you put it in terms for us, like, uh, you know, just kind of like a baseline. It would be um, if you've got a candidate who is, say, for gun control, uh, but, you know, they're repeatedly saying, you know, we're not trying to take away your guns. We're not, you know, we're not trying to restrict guns and stuff. So the tracker's job is to get them to say, 
something that can be construed as we're trying to take away your guns. Basically. Oh yeah. Yeah. And any little thing, I mean, well, I think we need to put, you know, uh, military style assault rifle bans on the table. Well, that immediately transitions to, they want to take your gun. <laughs> right. right. You know, they'll stretch it. They'll take it and stretch right. it. They're fine with that. Well, I mean, to an extent, if they've already, if they're not saying that publicly, if, okay, if that's what they believe and they're not saying that publicly at every event and you get them to say that. You're kind of doing the Lord's work. Well, it raises the question like, <laughs> well, is that your final position? Because that's different from what you've been saying. You know what I mean? So it, it does raise a legitimate question. And that's what I think. I think there are pros and cons to this tracking work. It just feels gross. It feels you know? gross. What was the it grossest does. thing about it? I mean, you mentioned there was a point where you where you backed off and realized, like, I can't climb this ladder anymore. Like, right. Can you pinpoint that point? It was probably whenever I was instructed to follow someone's grandmother, probably. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and from a campaign headquarters uh, to wherever they went next, which ended up being, I guess, their home. And I didn't stick around there because I just made the choice not to stick around there. I don't. Yeah, um, I think I'd have a really. You know, yeah. there's there. Everyone's got a line. I think I'd have a hard time following someone's grandma or their kids. Yeah, and we're and we're talking um, like full on like movie tale, like yeah. you know, changing lanes and all that good uh-huh. stuff. Wow. So yeah, very grandma. interesting. Yeah, taking down the license plate number and then transmitting it back to the the boss i can wow. see a couple of our listeners taking notes and, and we're going to get questions for where to send job applications yeah. after this because <laughs> yeah. that sounds way cooler than what i'm doing right now <laughs> yeah it, it does it gives off that james bond like you mentioned that james bond feel uh but it goes away quickly when you think about like the health of your own political environment sure right. you know and, and the the nation we live in and i think like all of us here want to see things improve and everybody prosper for the better, you feel like, well, okay, this is, this is part of the problem. I, yeah. I need to not do this. No, I mean, realistically, somebody's grandma has nothing to do with, I mean, with whatever they're going to do if they're elected. I mean, right. it, it, it makes it, you wonder like, what would, what would the person who receives that information be hoping to get out of that? Like, she stops and smokes a joint on the side of yeah, the road. Yeah, or no, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah, I would say that exactly. Probably. I, I, that's the only thing I could come up with yeah. is, is that maybe they did something that could be attributed, like you know, so and so's campaign. And that's not even you know. stuff that works in the court of public opinion to me because you can't you can't show someone's grandma smoking a joint on your on your campaign ad, right? Right. So so to me, that's that's fishing for blackmail material. Oh yeah. yeah, that's not that's not we're gonna we're gonna sway voters. That's will ruin you. Oh right, yeah, you know right. we're looking for things to, and that's where this gets really dark to me. Yeah, um, you know when we're tracking people's grandmothers and stuff, we're, we're not asking for for necessarily the truth to show the American public. Mm-hmm. We're looking for leverage at that point. Oh yeah, and at that point, I was thinking, well, I'm not tracking the candidate. Yeah. You know, I, I'm tracking somebody who wants to volunteer their time. Probably they're probably not even a paid you know, employee, right. Probably right. volunteering their time. You know, they believe in this person. That's all they're guilty of. You know? So yeah. it's like, well, that's, that's really tough to swallow from the whole, like, well, I'm making a difference. No, I'm not, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> like, not really. No, that's, that's the, I think that's the real shame uh, about this, this whole experience and like in the climate that it creates. I mean, folks, let me tell you, I mean, you know, earlier I referenced that less, has some, you know, some contracts, some NDAs, and there's things that he can't go into, but that he's told us about. And it, it doesn't get any prettier than following somebody's grandma. It actually it gets worse, yeah. you know. And and you have to wonder, like, what kind of 
uh, just mood that creates in politics. Like, so think if you're the, the honest person, the true believer who's just breaking in, you know, you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to run for office. I'm going to make make this thing better. And then you run up against, you know, having all your friends and family followed. Now you're putting other people through something they shouldn't have to go through just so what, so that you can get power. Like it starts to, you know, it starts to play with your head and so you see those people and, and less, you know, I, I think you're a stand up guy and you've kind of backed away from it once you saw the, the gross stuff that was going on. So now who's left in the polit- in the political process? It's the people who are OK with those. Things, yeah, absolutely. Or they can justify them. No, it totally shuts out. You know, I couldn't imagine knowing what I know now after talking to less vegetables here. I don't I'll never run for office. Not that I would before. <laughs> yeah. But that's pretty much that pretty much bars me. From you know, I don't want the people I love and care about followed for for blackmail against me. You know, it's right. just it's ludicrous. It's it's absolute. But I mean, what you know, what's the alternative? I don't know. I guess maybe I shouldn't associate with people who who smoke pot. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like I don't. Yeah. You know what? What's the answer to that? I it's you know I'm, I'm not really sure, and I don't think I think it's an issue that we're dealing with at large especially when you look at the stories that we've had recently, uh, you know, with Cambridge Analytica and, and Fusion GPS. And I actually, I wanted to ask you, Les, like you, being on that other side of the curtain, like what is your take on uh, on those situations? Well, it's certainly, you know, like something like Fusion or Cambridge. I mean, if we're talking about playing ball in the big leagues. You know, yeah. they're, they're running presidential campaigns. So it's, you know, the stakes are higher. They're going to do things like, hire prostitutes to try and blackmail people and, you know, set up sting operations where, you know, you catch somebody in a scenario where they're doing something that maybe they, you know, I've heard rumors about sending 16 year old girls into parties uh, where people were obviously drunk and, and, you know, trying to videotape uh, the engagement between a, you know, an underage girl and a politician. Like I don't think anything's off the table at a, at a high enough level, you know? Oh yeah. When the stakes are that high, people go pull out all the stops. And you know what's wild is like so I don't know if both of you have seen Godfather Part Two, but there's of a, course I haven't. There's a part in Godfather Part Two where the, the Corleone family, the mob, does exactly that to a politician. He won't do what they want, so uh, they set him up with a prostitute. Uh, she drugs his drink, and then one of the mob guys goes in and kills her. And so then the politician wakes up. <laughs> and he see, and now he looks like he's killed the prostitute. Yeah. So he can't go to the cops. He can't go. So he goes to the Corleones and he's like, help me. And they're like, sure. Of we course just, we you know. will. And so we that's, see that's that. movie shit. But no, but that's w- the point. It's not movie shit. Right. Listening to the congressional <laughs> congressional testimony um, for Fusion GPS was kind of eye opening yeah. because they were hiring, you know, ex CIA agents. Mm-hmm. Um, with with connections to the seedy underbellies of the world and. And doing some pretty shady shit. I mean, yeah. it wasn't so far off of what we've seen in the movies. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think I think we we get into this really dangerous place, especially with what happened with Fusion, where you know we have this this uh, what do you want to call them? Private investigators, right? And then uh, with the Russia investigation, now all of a sudden a politically possibly politically motivated private investigator now works for the FBI who's supposed to be impartial. And then all the, you know, and then all of a sudden they don't, and maybe they want to sell their information to the media and it creates this swirling mess. So I do think, you know, there is a place for 
digging into our candidates and finding out about them. You know, sure. it's just and 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 how far can journalists go? You know, I mean, they, they, they do their best, but no, you I know. think investigation is a is a good thing, and I don't think there's anything we could do to like create laws to stop this from happening without greatly impeding on people's personal freedoms. Like what you can't, you can't go talk to someone and ask them questions, you know? So there's this, there is this big gray area, you know, like, yeah, you know, you bring up a good point. Like I think with the collapse of legitimately uh, intriguing journalism, legitimately investigative journalism and being critical We've given rise to this uh, sort of what in political science they call the revolving door, where now there's this bubble around D.C. And you have lobbyists. We talked about lobbying almost being a parallel with the, you know, the Fusion GPS Cambridge type business where, you know, back when Obama came in, it was the lobbyists that were the boogeyman. Uh-huh. They're subverting democracy. Well, now it's, you know, these tracking agencies and these, you know, data mining agencies that are subverting democracy. And they are. And so are the lobbyists. But people are ignoring the fact that you just mentioned of it's a revolving door. And you mentioned it as well. Revolving door. So CIA, I go to work for, you know, this public institution on the taxpayer. Uh-huh. Then I go work for this private organization. Yeah. Now that I have all the connects and, right. and all the hookups across the world, yeah. you know, and all and you these- can go back and forth depending on the administration, you know, not your team is in. So now you go work in the private sector, your and, team's back in, you go back to the public sector. And it's, I think it's ludicrous to assume that those people don't maintain some sort of political affiliation or put political connection well, of course uh, with do. the people they worked for. So, so, you know, to me, it's a it's a it's a huge tangled mess of gray area. I think the answer is is transparency. You know, in much yeah. the same way as as the public held Roseanne accountable for her tweet, I think we need to be able to hold people like Fusion GPS and Cambridge Analytica accountable in the court of public opinion. Right? We might not be able to regulate um, these agencies out of being able to to do all this ludicrous, crazy shit. But when we when it comes to us and we see I think we need to be loud and say like that's not cool, man. Following people's grannies isn't cool, right? You know, what I'm saying yeah, there's right. there are lines somewhere, and 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 but, again, it goes it goes back to your you know your your libertarian heart. Like, no, nah, it's not something the government can necessarily solve, right? Um, you know, it's like it's like going back to the to the lobbyists and and who would want people not to be able to lobby for diabetes? Sure, you know, it's right. ridiculous. So so rolling back regulations on on or or, or enacting legislation or regulation on lobbyists might be shooting ourselves in the foot, but sure. at some point we've got to acknowledge what's going on and control it to the best we can. Well, that's why I mentioned journalism because I think rebuilding actual critical journalism is the only answer we've let, you know, lobbyists we've let Cambridge Analytica and fusion GPS become what journalists used to be, which digging up the actual problems but they go further because they're like a mercenary agency doing it. Well, so they're going to do anything. And Compromat doesn't work if, if all the public already knows. Right. Compromat right. only works exactly. if you're the one holding the cards. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So investigative, investigative journalism kind of going underground and becoming these firms is just the logical thing to happen in, yeah. in, in a capitalist F- society. Fusion's founders, Fusion GPS founders, all used to work for the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I think I think you know you touched on the fact that we do tend to create uh, boogeymen 
out of these things. And, and you know, like you said, there, there's no question uh, that lobbyists have had a huge impact on how politics work, Cambridge fusion. But I think sometimes when we do that, like when we when we build up these boogeymen, we lose sight um, of what actually matters. And it's sort of uh, it, it makes it uh, harder to solve the issue. So, for instance, I think you guys just just, you know, came to the only solution we have available to us for fusion. But the problem is, is that we're worried about that practice, right? Like we're worried about what Fusion GPS is doing. And we're like, well, how do we, well, you can't stop that. I mean, how are you ever going to regulate that? Or, you know, you said something about we should come together and say following grannies ain't cool. Well, Fusion GPS doesn't care. So the solution there is kind of one that you're not, you're not looking at head on, right? It's like over off to the side. It's, it's journalism, right? Well, I think, I think much, uh, I think it's very similar with Cambridge. Cambridge collected all this data, right, from Facebook, and they developed targeted ads and all that stuff. The main thing that I'm worried about with what Cambridge did is the fact that they built databases about people, right? So we we talk about the targeted ads, and I know that you feel strongly about advertising and all that stuff, and I share some of your concerns, the stuff about um, – uh, targeting people who were mentally unstable and stuff and playing to their mental illness. That's, mm-hmm. that's atrocious and terrible, you know, but I think that the way that you, you resolve the Cambridge uh, problem again, because I think that genie's out of the box, much like AI is it's on us. Like we have to be aware of how we're being targeted. We this was just a aware. slick way of you telling me to lift myself up by my bootstraps. No, no. What I'm saying is, <laughs> what I'm saying is, when you have these situations, right, where you're looking at the board, and in the rules of the game, there's no way to fix them. There's one wild card, and that's us. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's how we react. So I mean, if we we see the outlet, like you said, with fusion of demanding journalism, so that way everything's out in the open. That fixes the problem without having to fix their practices. You know what sure, I'm saying? It allows Here, them it allows them to do their dirty work, but it, it also allows like an escape valve on right. the side. Well, and with Cambridge, like again, I say, if we are hyper vigilant about the fact that we're being hyper targeted, you know what I'm saying? I think that the impact of what of that Cambridge is able to do will lessen and and decrease to the point where it's not right. Violent. I think that speaks to transparency and, and, right. and, and understanding of you know of of what's actually going on um, kind of allows us to get around it you know, mm-hmm. before it hits us. Yeah. Um, and I would also say that, you know, when we're talking about journalism and kind of the death of investigative journalism, I, I see new life in, in podcasting, yeah. you know, in people who are out here, I'm not beholden to any, any interests, you know, any corporate interests. No one's paying my bills, but me, hopefully sure. the listeners will, will pitch in someday, you know, right, yeah. and come along for the ride. But, um, very much so. I think that, um, cheap recording equipment and, and smartphones and technology. Um, people, people are going to come in and fill that gap. Yeah. Uh, it's up to us to support them when they do, you mm-hmm. know, and, and to, and to build the network, uh, of future journalism, you yeah. know, in, into something that, you know, may get co-opted in much the same way, but at least we'll have a good run in the meantime, you know, everything beautiful eventually gets co-opted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, in, in this forum, like you mentioned, you're not bound by concision, you know, like CNN, you got to be concise. It's got to be quick. It's got to fit a soundbite. 
you know, in this type of forum, we can expound upon things. We can really hash out one particular topic and spend an extended amount of time talking about it. And that's the only way we're ever going to get more understanding for everybody and maybe get to a point where we can say, no, this isn't good. This is good, you know, and actually uh, have sensible governance at some point. Well, Les, uh, damn. I mean, you, you, yeah, you hit the nail on the head, man. Um, I, I, we really enjoyed having you today. Uh, it's been a really uh, interesting discussion. Um, unfortunately, um, now comes the part of our show uh, that's not so fun. Uh, it's time for Beanzo to come through and just pick us apart on Uh-oh. everything that we flubbed today. So, fact checker extraordinaire, take it away. Well, fellas, I think calling yourselves a third rate podcast is pretty generous. I'd say 12th rate at best, but. I would like to thank you for finally making an episode that your old buddy Beanzo can get inspiration from. Oh, don't get me wrong. It wasn't any great insight you two delivered, but the new and exciting career opportunities you've opened my eyes to. Think of it, fellas. Beans Analytical, a dedicated group of researchers who could say, I don't know. Compile all the data on your guest episodes to independently verify that you have been clearly outshone by your guest in each and every episode, especially episode 10. Or how about Fusion BNZ, a dogged and determined firm of investigators who could immediately correct factual inaccuracies like census claim that Fusion GPS hired XCIA when it was actually XMI6. I see a path to the future, buddies. Old Beanzo might soon find himself rubbing elbows with the Robert Mercers and the Glenn Simpsons of the world. Till then, I'll settle for pointing out that you spoke about diversity of viewpoint at the top of the show and had an anti-authoritarian guest who believes that the political process is broke and polarization is the main threat to democracy. Yeah, this show is just a wash in a diverse spectrum of views. Fellas, back to you. I'm actually taking that as a huge win because after oh, all, yeah. we did pick the show's guest. And if the guest was good, then by default, you know, we, we did something good, right? No, I, I say Beanzo loses here because he gained uh, insight from the show. That's all we ever hoped for, right? Bangarang. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Les, hey, it was it was great to have you on today. We really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Before Before we let you out of here, uh, if, if there were like three main things that you want people to remember going forward for how to deal with the crazy political landscape that we find ourselves in, what would they be? Uh, well, navigating out of it, I would say would take shrugging off, uh, things you've been told to believe, yeah. uh, opening up to other things, being willing to explore other ideologies and challenge yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's step number one. Step number two, uh, would be being honest with one another. Um, you know, if something is off the table ideologically, then get it out there. And at least we can know that and work around it or see that it's an impasse or whatever it may be. But honesty has got to be observed before we can expect things to be any better. Absolutely. And thirdly, I would say the unifying melodic force of Taylor Swift. Oh, he, how did he get to you? This is world-class producer and fact-checker extraordinaire Beanzo of the Sense and Theory Podcast. I want to thank you all for suffering through each show to hear the righteous takedowns I drop on the fellas. 
please go like and review us on iTunes. It'll mean a lot to the guys. But more importantly, it'll help keep your old buddy Beanzo on the air. There's links to all our social media in the description. And feel free and tell the fellas how wrong they were at SenseandTheoryPodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week to hear Sense and Theory get all up in they feels when I burn all their hard work down again. Beanzo out.